On this episode, I'm in the room with Pastor Matt Adair. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 85. I'm your host, Ryan Hughley. And for those of you joining me for the very first time, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the author of Eight Hours or Less, Writing Faithful Sermons Faster. Today, I'm talking with my friend, Matt Adair. Matt is the lead pastor of Christ Community Church in Athens, Georgia. He's also the founder of Gridiron, an organization that helps church leaders grow their preaching, their teams, and themselves. Matt and I have a shared passion for pastoral health. Some studies show that as many as 1,500 pastors leave vocational ministry every single month. And most suspect that that number is going to be so much higher the longer that COVID stretches on. So Matt and I sat down to discuss our own health, the journey that God has taken each of us on, and a bit about what exactly is going on with so many ministry leaders. So even if you're not a pastor personally, this conversation is going to give you so much more insight into how to pray for your own. So get comfortable and come on in the room for my conversation with Matt Adair. Well, Matt, we have a bunch of stuff in common, you and I, and I think uh, maybe the deepest passion that we both share uh, is for pastoral health. So I want to dig into that yeah. uh, in just a few minutes. But first, I want to talk about you and your story. Mm-hmm. You and I both grew up in Air Force homes. And uh, growing up in the military is a unique experience, period. It's such a specific tribe yeah. to come up in. And so I wonder when you think about the way that you grew up as a part of a military family, and what ways did that help form who you became? Um, I think it, it, it forces you to adapt because you're not going to be in one place forever. Now, right. my dad was uh, an officer. So, you know, I had friends that by the time I graduated from high school in West Texas in 1993, I mean, they had been, you know, in 14 schools in 13 years, you know, wow. and, and I didn't have that, you know, yeah. I mean, Indeed. we moved every three or four years. I was in yep. one high school for all four years, but you still had to sort of adapt. You had to you had to make friends and, you know, we've, we've lived here in Athens, Georgia, near Athens, Georgia for 16 years. And so my boys, uh, you know, they're 15, 12 and nine, they've only lived in one place. So I think making me relationally adaptable, um, understanding that, um, my dad had a job that was important. Uh, Mm Um, it was the height of the cold war. Um, he would often go on alert, which means he'd have to go stay on the base and they'd have drills and they'd have to go get in airplanes and get off the ground. Like somebody was going to drop nuclear weapons on the base and all that wow. kind of stuff. And so you go, okay, that's kind of significant. Yeah. And, um, and, and so I, I think that there was also the through line of our family was always around church. Mm-hmm. So wherever we went, Jesus was kind of close and yeah. not in a super spiritual way, but that was just always part of my life growing up. And so um, those are some of the stabilizing factors and, and my, uh, you know, my parents, um, my parents did a good job, I think, uh, just always being around and I'm grateful for that. But you say you don't really remember a, a point in time when you came to faith that it was yeah. more like you're not exactly sure when that is. I read on the gridiron site, right. you don't recall a moment. And, I, and so I wonder, is there... 
because everybody has a different kind of story, you know, yeah. like I grew up in like youth group where the only testimonies that got shared were like the crackhead and hookers that came yeah. to faith. There was no yeah. like normal stories. Yeah. Uh, it was just the extremes. And so when you think about, I, I do remember a point in time when I was like, I came to faith very young, seven years old, but I remember marching the aisle, praying with my yeah. pastor and I freaking yeah. meant it as yeah. much as a seven year old can. Yeah. But when you think about not having a point in time, is there pros and cons to that in the way that that helped form the way you think about your faith? Well, I think one of the challenges, and, and this is where, you know, as, as somebody who most strongly identifies uh, as a Presbyterian, and when uh-huh. I think about like covenant baptism, so when, when, when we try to communicate, you know, one baptism, I think there's a singular baptism, but the way that it is experienced by somebody who grows up in the covenant community and somebody who comes from outside the covenant community, it's a little bit different. So I certainly have mile markers along the way. Um, I wasn't there when I was baptized at Broadwood Baptist Church when I was, uh, or Broadwood Presbyterian Church when I was like six months old. Uh But uh, we were stationed in West Texas when I was four. And uh, I walked the aisle then at Pioneer yep. Drive Baptist Church in Abilene, Texas. Yeah. It um, had mile markers along the way. When we when I was in high school, back in Abilene again, I got arrested twice for shoplifting, and yeah. that was kind of a spiritual mile marker. Like, there's a development of faith. I think the challenge for somebody whose story is like mine is, what does the necessity of evangelism feel like? Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of what's the That's what's the driver for me to tell people about the reality and goodness of King Jesus when Mm -hmm. there isn't this sudden life change. Again, there's growth in periods. And as we talk about spiritual health and our spiritual journey, it's there for everybody. But so much of my experience was different than people who had quote unquote radical conversion stories. Um, There was growth in, in my journey with Jesus, but it didn't go from uh, this, uh, this, this very strong sense of outside of the community, outside of the kingdom and into the kingdom. So it was just different. Yeah. So tell, I got to know why, why were you such a klepto growing up? Why did you, you got arrested, not just that you shop, you got arrested for it twice. I got arrested for it twice, but, but, um, uh, what was funny is, uh, my, my dad, uh, for a long time. So I had to tell him, and I told him this probably when I was in my twenties that dad, the truth was I was running a shoplifting ring for about 18 months and he looked at me and, uh, and he goes, well, now that you're older, I guess I could say that there's some relief to that because I kind of, uh, for a while, I just thought I, I'd raised the stupidest, you know, son on the planet, <laughs> you know, oh for 2. Turns um, out you're entrepreneurial, so that's yeah, good. Yeah, when everybody, I, I literally, when I did my assessment for Acts 29 and we talked about my entrepreneurial journey, I said, well, uh, full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> so it started off as one of those things in high school where it was a little bit of a rush, right? Like you start yeah. off, you know, uh, lifting a, you know, a, a single of LL Cool J's, you know, mom's gonna knock you out. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, and then it goes from there and, you know, West Texas, they w- didn't necessarily have the most uh, up-to-date security system. So, yeah. man, it was it was clothing, it was music, it was all kinds of stuff. And then, you know, turn around and selling it for a profit. And uh, that, that lasted for uh, a year and a half until the second time I got arrested and, and then it kind of stuck. Okay, that's good. I'm glad. I haven't stolen anything since. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> Uh, so when do you, do you remember a point in time as you got older when the weight of who Jesus is and the reality of his presence in your life and a desire for actual relate? Was there a, a real point in time when the weight of that maybe sat on you more heavily than it had in younger years? I think it, the way I would say it is it's just been different. Um, you know, when I, I think back, uh, you know, when I was in high school, 
um, you know, 10th grade sitting over at Kent Choate's house. He was our youth minister and it was me and my friend, Buddy and my friend, Brian and my friend, Chris, and we're going mm-hmm. through the experiencing God material. It yeah. had just come out, you know, and, uh, I remember Kent asking us, you know, do you love God? And I can mm-hmm. remember I'm sitting on the floor. Uh, one of his boys at the time was maybe two and, and his two-year-old thought it was fun to just run through the room that we were in. And we just throw these big pillows and just knock him just off his yeah. feet. And he yeah. thought it was great. We thought it was great. So in the middle of doing that, Kent's asking us this question um, and, you know, trying to hold our attention. Um, right. And, and I remember saying to him, I don't think I could say that I love Jesus, but I respect him. And I think that was true at the time. And I think for me, they're just it's pretty you know, insightful. That's a pretty insightful way to see that at that age. Yeah. I mean, I think it just kind of rolled off, you know, I mean, yeah. this, whatever, whatever meant to love Jesus. I mean, that, that's as far as I could get. And, mm. um, you know, I come from a long line of, uh, of people, including, you know, my dad, my brother and my oldest son who are on the autism spectrum. And, um, and I've never been able to know, I mean, I, I don't think it, it just skips me entirely. I think there's mm-hmm. probably a touch of it in there somewhere. And so I think trying to grasp and understand people and understand emotion and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that was, you know, here we are 30 years later and I'm talking about that. Yeah. And I just think along the way, it's just, um, I think the more, honestly, the, every single mile marker in my story where Jesus becomes more real and I'm more convinced of his love is me, uh, either getting put into or sticking it in a ditch. Mm-hmm. Um, suffering's been a very, very powerful um, draw to the reality of Jesus and how much he loves me. Hmm. Well, I know that you started at Christ Church at 28. Yeah. Um, and I want to, you, your website says that they were crazy. So I'm fired yeah. up to hear that story. Yeah. But between that high school period to starting at Christ Church, what, what was happening in your life, the years in there, starting into ministry, what roles did you have? What did that look like? Yeah, so I, I backed in uh, to go into Sanford University in Birmingham, which was a, is a Southern Baptist school. Um, okay. And so I went there, was in a fraternity, um, which was a lot of fun. Half of the guys in my pledge class of about uh, 20 guys, I think it was 18 actually, half of those guys ended up in vocational ministry and half of them very much didn't. Um, okay. And we were a family. And um, those were those were great years. Mm-hmm. Um, towards the end of my undergraduate, I just thought, you know, my granddad was uh, at one point the president of the largest uh, coal company in the United States. Wow. Successful, you know, kind of uh, grew up poor, started off in the coal mines and worked his way all the way to president of the Crazy. company. I'm like, I want to be that guy. Yeah. And, um, and, and he started off kind of made himself into an accountant and I was like, well, I'll just go do accounting. And then before my, between my junior and senior year, I was doing a campus ministry project and uh, uh, Jesus and I uh, had a conversation uh, I had to work through that for a while because for a while I, I would have considered myself a cessationist. I don't anymore, okay. but it was pretty clearly Jesus said, Hey, we've never had this conversation. That's not what I have for you. And mm-hmm. so coming back my senior year, uh, knowing that I wasn't going to do accounting, that I wanted to do something in ministry, um, met this uh, incredible woman who's now my wife. She was mm-hmm. a year behind me. I'm like, I ain't leaving town. Peace uh, yeah. and divinity schools right here at Sanford. I go there. Um, and then just kind of get in it thinking I was going to do campus ministry. Uh, that didn't quite work out the way I wanted to ended up at a PCA church as sort of, uh, a pastoral assistant and ended uh-huh. up getting ordained and doing that and getting very much caught up in Presbyterian and reformed world. And then coming here cause I was impatient, you yeah. know, I was 28, thought the world was ready to hear me preach. I hadn't had enough of life kicked out of me yet to be a good mm-hmm. pastor. Um, I think I had the mechanics down. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this church had 30 people um, 
and uh, man, I was just ready to go and left a real stable situation to come into a situation that I just thought I was ready to conquer. And, um, and you know, by, by God's grace and mercy, here we are 16 years later yeah, and I'm still crazy. here and we've had lots of ups and downs and crazy twists and turns. And um, I would never have scripted out almost anything about, you know, our story here, but God's been incredibly good. And yeah. uh, I think I'm a better human being. Uh, I know I'm a better pastor because of uh, all of it, but but mainly because the stuff that I wouldn't have drawn out the way that it actually yeah. took place. What were those first couple years like when you come into a place? It's thirty people. Yeah. You're you're young and still trying to figure things out. What were those first couple years like? For well, you? well, first it starts off with thinking I had it figured out already. Of course, and if these yeah. people would just listen to me, um, <laughs> yeah, and, the world would be a better um, place. Well, and, and they hired. I was very different than the the founding pastor of the church. He was super relational. He was the relational hub for this church that probably got up to about 150 people. Okay, and then when he left, he was just completely burned out. And uh, and it, it dropped to 30. Have you been there? He had been there since 1989, and so oh, he left at the end of 2002. Yeah. Um, and so they went uh, about a year and a half between pastors, and then I come in, and I'm just different. I prefer right. introversion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I you know, was still trying to figure out uh, the legitimacy of emotions and the reality of my own emotions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just again, just, you know, I, it isn't that I didn't care for people. I don't know that I knew how. And, yeah. uh, but, I, but I've always been a problem solver if somebody was to say, who are you vocationally? I was like, I design change, you know, whether mm-hmm. that's when I was working for Acts 29 and help moving that from Seattle to Dallas or starting a business or working with clients now, or really whatever I do, like I'm going to try to help people uh, change or organization change. And so that part was easy until it just, you know, it didn't, it didn't, the thing didn't happen. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we had a little bit of a, of a jump. Um, and, you know, probably within two years we had, you know, a couple hundred people or so coming. And then mm-hmm. uh, I can remember uh, the summer of 2006, we started getting clarity about who we wanted to be. Okay. And uh, I think that summer we lost uh, about half of our people and about 75% of our money. Wow. Um, because you just had a community of people where it wasn't clear about what yeah. we were about. And yeah. everybody's like, that's cool. I kind of like it here. People are nice. Yeah. And then you go, well, this is what we think Jesus wants us to do. And I, I didn't sign up for that. And so, right. you know, it was a real roller coaster, you know, early on that honeymoon period which I probably shortened by, by my own, uh, immaturity and inadequacy. Um, and, uh, what would you say though? Sorry to interrupt you, but like, I'm curious about that, that point in 2006, what happened in your life that led to some lights going on where, cause I'm assuming typically the way that it happens is a point leader or team of leaders get clarity and then take a church and or an organization in another direction. So did something, what, what happened that triggered something in you that led to this new expression of clarity? I think just us coming together and having the conversation. I mean, it wasn't, uh, I mean, it wasn't this great, uh, you know, epiphany or crisis other than the fact that, you know, I mean, there are things that I think we thought should be happening and, and weren't, mm-hmm. you know, okay. and just things in terms of, you know, I, I feel like for any of us who are organizational leaders, the best gift that we bring to the table, particularly those of us who are wired as visionaries is clarity. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's, yeah. that, that's, that's our superpower. And, yeah. and so for me trying to figure out what this thing should be. And, and I think being able to at least get a group of elders and deacons to buy in, mm-hmm. you know, that's what happened. And, and I think there are some things in hindsight, um, uh, you know, some of those people who didn't go with us should have gone with us. Yeah. Um, and it was my failure um, in the end to be able to make sure that we created the, the conversations, the relational um, 
uh, connections to be able to just allow people to experience what we were thinking and then to speak into that. And then us to really learn the practice of discerning what Jesus wants us to do. Cause that's the yeah. clarity that we want in the end. And yeah. I didn't have a category for that, you know, uh, at that time. So, um, you know, hindsight's an incredible gift. You know, yeah. there's a lot that I'd say to my 28 year old self. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I mean, I've known you really post, let's see, we started redemption in 2009. Yeah. Um, so I met you, you know, after that being in Acts 29. And so I've mm-hmm. kind of known that post clarity, you, I've known you, yeah. you know, since you've been more developed in your own leadership and everything. And, um, I just, I wonder as you, like one thing I've always really appreciated about you is the careful way in which you think. Um, and so when you finally take time to express yourself, whether it's on social media or something like that, it is, um, whether or not everyone agrees with you, I don't think anyone should accuse you of not being intentional and thoughtful, you know, prior to expressing whatever your conviction is. And so I wonder when you bring that, like what 2020 has been like, uh, for you as we're trying all to lead through what is probably the most politically divided uh, season in our, in, in, in my generation that I recall, I don't recall things being as divided and as politicized and as, um, I don't know, just, just so much vitriol and poison in the way that we're communicating and all of that. And so how have you brought that to this year? What have you tried to be mindful about in leading your own church as you have a politically diverse church? I have a politically diverse church. What are some of the lessons that you've learned and maybe mistakes you made earlier on in ministry where you just kind of bulldozed forward. What's been different when you come to this year and one of the most difficult climates to lead in that we've probably had? The, the list of mistakes are long. Um, I actually think the most um, significant lesson for me, actually something that um, was the hardest season of life for our church that I think I don't think you can ever do something perfect, but we did it as close as I think you can. Um, so a couple of years ago, uh, we ended up having to make a, a really difficult decision um, about a staff person based on mm-hmm. some choices they had made in their past that we yeah. had found out about. I think that um, the attempt to honor everybody uh, and to do the right thing, I think we did it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, subsequently probably lost about half of our church out of it. And, um, I don't even, think it was even in trying to do everything yeah. right. And so, so that yeah. was the hardest lesson for me. Yes. Yeah. There's an intentionality for me, but for so long, I think the intentionality was if I can do this perfect, mm-hmm. there will be no consequences. Correct. Yeah. And I think we came as close as we could, like for churches that have had to make mm-hmm. these type of decisions, I have no problem going you should come talking about how we did it. Yeah. Because I think that not just by intent, I think by what we actually did. Yeah. We did a great job mm-hmm. and it still wrecked a church. Yeah. Not because of anything that anybody who was left in the church did. Right. And so what it did is I think it unsettled that sense of man, like you have to do, you have to be perfect in order to get the right results. I mean, part of it is Athens is such a, such a transient town. I mean, like Mm -hmm. we, you know, I mean, we probably have averaged 200, 300 people in the church since I've been here. And, um, but we've had, uh, I think close to 3000 people who've been part of our church in 16 years. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's always that kind of transition, but I, I think what this year did for me 
And I think this is a lesson probably over the last few months that I think I'm really tuning into, which mm-hmm. ties into this spiritual conversation. I think that I am learning to to speak and lead out of out of what I'm experiencing at an emotional spiritual level with God. The, you know, there's this category that Ignatius of Loyola, you know, has in terms of the experience of consolation and desolation. Yeah. And I think that I'm learning to, um, to lead better out of that. It's a little bit like eating an exercise, like the whole idea that we should be able to eat and exercise intuitively, mm-hmm. but most of us can't. So we need to exercise plans and eating plans. And the, the benefit and blessing of spiritual practices is you're learning how to be with Jesus intuitively. And I think maybe I'm experiencing that a little bit more. I think mm-hmm. that there's, uh, I think some of the things even communicating about leadership and and life together in a pandemic and political racial justice Mm -hmm. stuff. There are times that I can look back and go, man, like I was doing the right thing, but I don't think I was doing it with Jesus because there was a, there was a level of agitation that I I think I look back now uh, and recognize it more as desolation is going, Jesus is like, no, man, you're not wrong here. I just didn't want you to do that. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so I think learning more in terms of, I think courage and, um, and patience and all the things that go into being a resilient, healthy leader for the long haul. I think so much of it is tied into, can't I be so dialed in with Jesus in my life with him that when he goes, yeah, let's go do that. I know that that's what I'm supposed to do. And when he goes, not yet, yeah. or uh, no, <laughs> don't do that, yeah. then I, I yeah. can listen to that too. So I think that's a lot of the journey right now. I mean, even in in a lot of what you've explained, it's pretty evident that health, I mean, health is this never ending journey for all of Mm. us. The the moment you stop working on it, you're regressing. Um, But it's very clear in hearing just bits and pieces of what you're saying that there's been this journey toward emotional health and spiritual health and physical health and all of these things. And so I wonder, like, there clearly was a time I think you'd probably look back on and say, I was not healthy then or at my healthiest then. And so I'm just curious, like, when was the, the season that was the roughest for you personally or where you feel like, you were at the very start of that process and just yeah. what, was, what was happening in life. What was, what were you like internally? What were relationships like? Maybe just speak to the, the whole of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have said that, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't struggle with things like anxiety um, mm-hmm. um, probably until the end of um, my time with Acts 29, which didn't end well. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think in the ending of that and how it ended and um, having to deal with that loss and moving forward is that I, I'm out of bullets, man. Like mm-hmm. all, whatever it is that I, I had in as a kid growing up in church and, and having a very real life with Jesus and my practices with him and my spiritual pathways. And man, I just I was just out of bullets, man. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what to do. So a lot of it was just having to go. I, I know I've got to figure out what this thing is. And, you know, mm-hmm. oh, those are called emotions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> again, this is part of my story yeah, and growing up, totally. you know, in a, in a family that uh, with a lot of people on the autism spectrum, like I had to go, oh, okay, figure this out. So, I mean, I can remember one of the, one of the kind of lasting gifts of, uh, of our mutual friend, Darren Patrick was he's mm-hmm. the first one that, that, uh, that I started talking about emotional health with. Yeah. You know, he's the guy who introduced me to a feelings wheel, you know, yeah. and I'm literally in, in, in the house with, with my wife and, you know, she's like, well, you know, what do you feel about that? And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> Let me get my wheel. <laughs> Let me go get my wheel. Right. And um, and really having to build those things out. And so, yeah. I, honestly, probably from uh, you 
you know, the last six years coming up on six years since my time with X29 ended, uh, it has been, um, it, it's, it's been the hardest and the most beautiful time of my life. Um, God's provided in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have signed up for the last six years. Yeah. But here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not just, I mean, this process is not, I mean, my story is tracks with yours in so many different ways. Um, but this is also not just isolated to you and I, you know, it it seems like, uh, pastors, uh, I don't want to speak for everybody and couldn't, but a lot of pastors at least are not doing great Mm -hmm. in this area. And, uh, 2020 has definitely made things worse. I don't, I don't, I don't know that there's much that has been that, that COVID or racial injustice and politicized, like everything being so politicized. I don't know that that's created as much as it's exposed these massive cracks inside of so many of us, but you have a relationship with a lot of pastors like I do. And I just wonder what are the, what are the most common unhealthy factors that you're seeing in general with pastors? And then how do you think 2020 has made it worse? So kind of two parts to that, but start with what are the unhealthy factors that you're seeing most frequently with in your own life, but with pastors in general? Yeah vocationally just the the having to lead into the unknown mm-hmm. um and i think that there's a there's a tension vocationally of going back to the old places where we are familiar which i don't think is what god's inviting uh yeah. the church to as a whole mm-hmm. i think whatever's on the other side of, of this is going to look more or less familiar depending on who you are where god's called you so I think just that it's like you know I mean yeah, I was uh, I was talking to uh, uh, to our mutual friend in Chicago yeah. and uh, and we were working and he was talking about 2021 planning and I was like yeah. Ash man like do you really think it <laughs> like this thing are things really going to be different in January yeah um, and and so I think just leading to the unknown vocationally yeah um, I, I think that that creates a lot of mental emotional um, strain because we're we don't have well worn grooves like mm-hmm. if it was the end of October when we're recording this. Um, on most years prior, we know what was coming. Right. Um, but we're still having to think really hard about what we do in terms of like Advent and Christmas and right. we do a vision series in January and all this type of stuff. Um, so I think it creates a lot of mental, emotional stress. Uh, mm-hmm. we're having to burn a lot of calories that way. Mm-hmm. I think that that tends to really impact us physically. So, mm-hmm. uh, the number of pastors that I've talked to is like, dude, I put on so much weight. Yeah. Um, and that's any combination. It always comes back to a combination of, man, we're not sleeping well. We're not eating well. We're not exercising well. Uh, that's going to impact us relationally isolation particularly for those of us who prefer extroversion mm-hmm. man this has been hell and yeah. uh and it puts stress on our marriage it puts stress on our parenting it puts stress on friendships we feel isolated and alone mm-hmm. because we don't have those normal relational grooves with people in our church and because of that distance people are getting meaner <laughs> uh, yep. they're just getting uglier with one another and they're saying things that they would never say if they were sitting across the table from you yeah. and we probably do the same as leaders and i think all of that in the end comes back to the fact that we 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 are in an unfamiliar place in our journey with Jesus. Yeah. Um, what what was great up until now isn't enough mm-hmm. for what we need in the moment, and because we haven't adapted yet, mm-hmm. we find ourselves feeling very alone, very uh, very isolated, and very unequipped to do anything other than just kind of lay down and mm-hmm. hope that it all goes away. Yeah, yeah. I, I have I've been as I've been talking to people that. 
even counseling people in my own church that are having increased family conflict with yep. like extended family around all the same stuff that we're talking about yep. around who they're going to vote for and what they believe about black lives matter, all of this stuff. And I mean, I have nothing to substantiate this other than just, it's an, it's a, um, it's something that I see and that I wonder about. I just, I feel like this has been a lesson in why it's so important for us to, why God designed us to be in, in relationship and community with others. Because like, if we don't regularly rub up against people that are like even 1% different than us, yeah. it's like all our crazy calcifies. Yeah. And I think that is so much of what's happened in our churches and our families is just in this isolation, every just like neurotic thing about us is calcified yeah. where it used to be more malleable and soft. Yeah. And we're just having so much more friction as a yeah. result of it. But I, yeah. but I wonder what you think about like, so yeah, planning for 2021 just seems like completely pointless right now. Yeah. So what, what are you thinking about? How do you deal with the stress and the uncertainty of not being able to look to 2021 and to be able to say, here's our priorities. Here's the practices that we're going to really go after. I mean, how, how do you stay anchor? Like for some reason, that's the word I keep thinking about is like, how do we anchor to what is right now when we can't really predict what's going to be. Well, I think one of the reasons that we predict things in the first place is because we're trying to minimize um, uh, mistakes and pain, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's, we don't want to work inefficiently or we don't want to miss an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, There are lots of reasons I think we do it. Well, in the absence of that, it's like, well, let's go back to score one. Like, Mm -hmm. um, uh, in, in the midst of this, which which I think is such an expression of of these dark you know powers and forces, call them sin or evil, we're just seeing it you know mm-hmm. in, in a cataclysmic way that's working globally and, and yeah. hitting everyone and everything. Um, this tidal wave of that, and even then, God's still building His church. So mm-hmm. you know, for for me, you know, it's the planning is being responsible to the people that God's given us. And what does that look like? And let's make it simple. Okay. Mm -hmm. Don't overcomplicate the strategy. Um, Let's be responsible um, in the places where God, where we know God's called us to be responsible. Mm -hmm. And then let's pay attention for where the kingdom of God is breaking through. Um, Where are you hearing rumors of something good is happening over here? It might not be the way that we thought it was going to be. It might not look exactly the way we wanted it to look or thought it would, but inevitably God's doing something good right now. And you know, it's kind of like you, you, you throw the fishing net out and, and, uh, Jesus is going to put some fish in there, mm-hmm. um, whatever that might look like. And so that's really what I'm encouraging, um, you know, whether it's other pastors or myself or our leadership community here and just trying to say, God's still working. Let's make sure that we develop the, the, the capacity mm-hmm. to be able to pay attention. So a lot of it is getting into our own spiritual practice, probably since, uh, middle of April, we just really banging the drum here on, Hey, it has to be rooted in your personal spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for us as a church, we, we think that we're here to help people practice the way of Jesus together mm-hmm. for the good of Athens. So w- then what does it look like to practice the way of Jesus together? And then we can find the opportunities where he wants us to work together for the good of our city and beyond. So I think that, that that's really what it's been. So I've never had more time to be mm-hmm. able to cultivate spiritual practice. Um, and that's, that's, that's the opportunity and the gift that I've seen because I don't have the opportunity to be around people as much as I did yeah. you know, eight months ago. Right. You know, I think, um, sometimes, uh, 
we think we're real healthy and we think Mm -hmm. we're on the right track and then Mm -hmm. something happens and you know some some light bulb goes on and we realize we're not that was certainly the case for me when it came to emotional health um last year i i had a series of experiences that helped me become really aware of this big blind spot in my life and they're called blind spots for a reason because we can't see them and so you know someone might be listening and 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 listening to us and wondering like I wonder if I'm healthy. Yeah. <laughs> so what what would you say are some of the most common warning signs that whether it's emotional health or I mean it's it's a a big issue and topic. Yeah. It's not just one thing. But what would you say are some of the warning signs that if two or three of these are present in a person's life that they should really begin to press in and think seriously about this? Yeah. So when I'm looking at sort of my own dashboard and, and, and as I've worked with, with uh, clients, I mean, you know, when we think about mental, emotional, I'm really looking for the presence of anger in men because it's the tell for depression. Yeah. We think of depression as people just kind of being blah. That's, that yeah. doesn't tend to be it with men. And mm-hmm. when I, when I come across somebody who's angry, um, and that's really when it's helpful to have people that are around them. Mm. and communicate with them and go and, you know, when, when do you see me angry? Because I think that's a tale. So anger, I think emotionally. Um, and, uh, some people go, man, what about brain fog? I'm like, we're all there because we're all having to burn calories more. I don't know if that's a lack of health or just a reality of just life right now. So I think anger is the tale there. I think physically for men, look at your gut, you know, look at, um, you know, uh, I think most of us, if we're going to put on weight, it's going to come around our midsection, Mm -hmm. uh, pay attention there. That's a, that's a tale, uh, relationally, um, I think in terms of your sense of um, uh, deep uh, uh, emotional intimacy with your spouse, if you're married, mm-hmm. um, I think that that's significant right now. Uh, and in the absence of that, particularly if it's changing negatively, there's just mm-hmm. distance happening. Mm-hmm. Um, spiritually, I, I think that um, you show up and, uh, and, and the thing isn't working anymore. Whatever your practices and pathways are, they're just they're just not effective. And I don't love using the word health there. I just, mm-hmm. I just think it means that God's bringing me to a different stretch yeah, in the journey. That's good. I like that. Um, and then I think vocationally it's, um, I don't think it's the question of man, uh, if, if a train comes through town, I might take it, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's that. Um, I think it is, uh, again, I think it probably ties into anger. Um, I'm angry that this is, what mm-hmm. God has for me right now. Yeah. Some people, whether it's church planners that were just getting started or guys that where the church was just growing or people who are already in a hard stretch and now it's just been more complicated by this, yeah. man, I just think it's that sense of, um, you know, how could God do this to me? Yeah. And, um, and, and we would never say that out loud, but we say it to ourselves, we say it to God. Yeah. And so I think those are just some things there in terms of vocational there. And I think there is an element of apathy, just irresponsibility. Mm-hmm. I just don't care. Yeah. Um, those are things that I would say. And those, yeah. no, those are good. Well, and, and, and to this end, there are so many things that ministry leaders can do, yeah. but what do you think are the top two, three, four things that, I mean, it's really just people in general, but we're yeah. specifically talking about pastoral health, but two, three, four things that we, that people really must do and maybe, maybe filter that, especially in light of just where we are right now uh, yeah. at this point in time, culturally. But what are, if you, if you had to say, you know, you could probably come up with a list of 10 to 15 things, but you have to say there's two, two, three, four things that you really, really like you, you cannot neglect these or it is going to take a toll. What do you think those would be? 
I think um, by far now is the time to prioritize your spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. Um, The number of clients that I'm talking to right now where we're just scrubbing the calendar and starting over with going, okay, we need to rebuild this with your Mm -hmm. spiritual practices, you know? And again, my definition of spiritual practice, which I take from Dallas Willard is, uh, is, is anything that I'm doing to cultivate parts of my life with God that I currently can't do on my own. Like I need it. Like I, you know, um, I I've told this story lately that, um, my, my grandparents before they passed away, uh, they actually started a church in an assisted living facility. Hmm. And, uh, and and so I preached there, oh gosh, it's probably six, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got done preaching the sermon and, um, you know, everybody comes up and says, you know, thank you. And I mean, they probably had like 150 people there. And, uh, and so there's this, uh, there's a guy sitting in the back, and uh, my granddad's like, ah, it's Mr. John. Let's go back and say hello to him. So Mr. John just sitting back there, not in a hurry. And I start sitting to, uh, sitting next to him and talking to him. Find out he's been a, he was a deacon in a Baptist church for a long, long time, you know. And so I'm just, you know, I'm trying to pick his brain and learn from, uh, learn from our fathers in the faith. And mm-hmm. and so I just, I asked him. I said, you know, what, what's kind of your morning routine? What's your life mm-hmm. with Jesus? And and uh, and he kind of looked at me, he was thinking about, and I was just, you know, I was like, you know, so what, what's like your Bible reading plan and things mm-hmm. like that? And he sat there for a minute and he said, you know, I don't think I picked up a Bible in probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe seven or eight years. And I'm going, ooh, yeah. okay. <laughs> and then he said this, okay. he said, this is going to sound strange, but I just haven't needed it because I, I, I recognize his voice hmm. and I went, okay. Yeah. I don't know if that's a universal application sure. for all of us, but yeah. I think that that's a reminder for me of like, that's, that's what I, to me, the invitation for us right now as pastors is Jesus is growing his church and he's using something that the enemy intended for evil and he's mm-hmm. using it for good. And the good is he's opening up space in every single one of our schedules to be with him. That's good. So I think prioritizing spiritual practices, sleep, Sabbath, those things are critical. And then finding who you need to partner with you, whether that's a coach, whether that's a therapist, whether that's a spiritual mm-hmm. director, you, right now is the time to go. I need at least one person whose sole responsibility is to pay attention to me Yeah, because every single one of us as leaders needs it. And I don't care how tight your elder team is. Mm-hmm. That's not their job. Yeah. Yes, their job is to pastor you, but they have one eye on you and one eye on the thing. Yeah. And it, so when you have a coach, when you have a therapist, when you have a spiritual director, they have all of their attention on you. Yep. And I think those things are are powerful and almost non-negotiable right now. Yeah. If you don't have those, man, it's just going to be, you know, God, God can provide, yeah. but you have to ask yourself whether, you know, you're not taking advantage of what he's provided for you. Yeah. Yeah. I've been working with both a therapist and a spiritual director since, uh, October of last year, November yeah. of last year. Yeah. And well, here's I, what I say, man, like I can tell, like, it's not like we talk all the time, but I yeah. mean, um, and, and, and we're, <laughs> We all have the capacity to to put on airs, yeah. as my grandmother would say. Yeah. But man, I just see it. I'm like, hey, man, I don't know what's going on with you, but uh, yeah. it's obvious that, uh, that 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 some things are are, are changing. So yeah. I could tell. I just didn't. I did not know how liberating and freeing and encouraging it would. I, I just. I was describing this to my therapist a couple months ago. I just don't. I don't very often have conversations with people that I don't feel some level of responsibility for them. If that makes sense, you know, whether, even if it is another pastor or it's someone in my church or friends or whatever, I just there, I think all relationships are marked by 
this sort of mutual responsibility for one another. Yeah. And, and because I think that that's true to an even higher degree uh, as a leader and as a pastor, to sit with someone that literally gets paid to just talk about me and make sure I'm okay. Right. I, I, I mean, I genuinely, I don't think, I, I don't think that I will go with the same frequency as I am right now forever, but I don't know that I will ever end those relationships in totality because yeah. they've just been so, so important for me. Yeah. And well, I didn't know how much I needed them. Yeah. The, the principle is you come to a point in which you really like there was enough there for you to know I needed to step into it and, yeah. and discover, I know something's off. I know that I don't have what I need to be yeah. able to keep going on this journey with Jesus. And so that's usually the tell, but you know, yeah. I think, you know, we're, we're sitting here having a conversation, just trying to put out breadcrumbs for people mm-hmm. and going, uh, if, if, if you think that we're talking about you, just consider that's probably the Holy spirit and take yeah. the next step. You know? I, I had an emotional breakdown watching a Lindsay Lohan movie. That's how mm-hmm. I knew I'd hit yeah. a wall. Yeah. Like anytime you break down to a Lindsay Lohan movie, things yeah. are not going great in your life. Well, isn't that crazy about trauma? You know, I mean, um, we, uh, so the, the, the West Wing had that special that came out. And, oh yeah, it was um, so good. I'm sitting here. Um, and right out through that door right there is yeah. the, 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 the door into our garage. And so, uh-huh. um, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm in between clients and I pull something up and I see the trailer as my family's walking in from school. And, uh, and so I, I tell Lindsay, I said, Hey, come here and, you know, see this. And mm-hmm. we both watched through it before and, uh, I watch it and I, I, I have a, a very powerful emotional reaction. Hmm. And so part of that, the, the, what I knew and I'd experienced it before with that show is when everything was going to hell in a handbasket with X-29, I was, I was on the road doing different things with X-29 and, and, but I'd be, I'd be watching West Wing. So it just gets in you, right? And so, you know, whether it's a direct response or something that happens, um, I haven't been able to get through a single episode of The Chosen without just freaking losing it. And it's weird. It'll be one phrase or one Mm -hmm. thing or one, and you're just like, man. Uh, gosh, there's so much that God has embedded in our, in our bodies, in our emotions. Yeah. And so learning to pay attention to it and not feel um, negatively about it. Um, yeah. That's been a gift. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in closing, I've, I've been hitting some rapid fire questions at the end of yeah. these episodes. So some shorter answer to these. And I'm, I'm just real curious to hear what, where people are at on this whole thing. So first one is, I know your website, so you, you listen to like 120 podcasts or something a week, yeah. don't you, on the regular? So, yeah, so top, at 2x speed, that's, that's yeah, exactly. the secret. That's yeah. the secret. So top top three favorite podcasts right now. Man, um, I, I would say that the ones that have been most helpful to me, and I kind of, I think of them in categories. So I've got my whole yeah. sports section. We'll set that off to the side okay. right now. Um, I, I think that the ones that have been helpful for me, uh, Esau McCauley's, uh one that he's doing called The Disruptors mm-hmm. has been really, really helpful. Um, man, I think that the guys at the Holy Pod cast, I mean, those guys are, are doing some good work right now. That's a VeggieTales. Um, uh, yeah, it's a Phil Vischer, Sky yeah, Jathani. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, they're doing some really they prophetic are. work, uh, yeah. but Phil's a funny guy. So, yeah. so that helps. Um, you know, I, I think that one of the things that I'm kind of recovering is, is a love for deep theology. When I got into pastoral ministry, I thought that I was going to be that dude. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's kind of come back around. So there's a great one, um, uh, 
I've gosh, if you had told me, I think it's called uh, On Sight, which is probably totally botching it. But uh, Matt Bates, uh, who's uh, wrote an incredible book called Gospel Allegiance, which really I think recalibrated my understanding of faith in the gospel in a very mm. powerful way. So he's on there, a few others, and uh, that's been really really powerful because they're just talking to, they're kind of nerding out uh, yeah. the, theologically outside okay. of my normal Presbyterian and Reformed circles, which has been really okay. really cool to handle. So so there's a few, but yeah, uh, there's. Uh, I plow through a lot of podcasts. Yeah. All right. What's something simple that brings you joy right now? Uh, my boys. What are your boys age now? Uh, 15, 12 and nine. And my, you know, and I can hardly, I think yeah. right now, the last two years have been, so challenging yet God has just created this incredible gift mm-hmm. called home. So last night, yesterday was my birthday when we were, yep. we were recording this. And um, so, you know, we sit around the table, we do this for everybody and, you know, here, you know, here are things that you're thankful for. So I turned 45. So my, my wife's like, well, we're not going to do 45 things. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> let's, so there are four people, let's do five things each. And just, you know, some of them were completely silly mm-hmm. and some of them are like, Oh wow. They picked up on that. And some mm-hmm. things you don't even imagine. So yeah. I think whether it's, I'm going, you know, coaching a flag football game here for my 12 year old here in a few hours or just laughing with my nine year old or taking my 15 year old driving and mm-hmm. just being with them. Love that man. I mean, What's something that you've read or listened to recently that inspired you? Man, I, I really have taken this path where I've spent almost all of my reading time over the last two and a half years reading uh, authors who are persons of color. And I think that trajectory on almost every subject, I want to go learn about this. I want to go learn about somebody who's not a white guy. Yeah. Um, Not because I'm like, angry at, at, at white people, uh, yeah. but just because I'm, I'm discovering uh, just parts of who God is in mm-hmm. God's world and the work that he's doing in this world that just honestly weren't on my radar screen. And yeah. I'm not struggling with, you know, necessarily even feeling guilty about it. It's just, it's, it's beautiful because it's just opening up new ways of thinking about who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a really powerful practice for me. Love that. Uh, what's something that you are working on or thinking through right now that makes you feel alive? I think settling in and entrusting all of my life to Jesus. Um, you know, I, I was reading, uh, David Benner has a really powerful trilogy and, uh, spiritual director and um, and he his last book you know, in the trilogy is on kind of willful willfulness and willingness and difference and just really holding your life uh, you know before God and choosing God in a lot of ways and uh, and accepting the life that He gives you and taking up your cross and that sense of suffering and I think there's been beyond resignation it's not resignation um, there's been parts over the last couple of years which is like really this is what you want for me Jesus and to get to a mm-hmm. place it's like yes. Mm-hmm. And I think just where, and, and being able to begin to recognize mm-hmm. where life is there yeah, in the midst of really hard things. Yeah. You know, we have categories for that. 
I was teaching on that probably when I was 23 years old. Yeah. I've got the mental construct of it. Yeah. I have theological categories for it, but to be able to live it and to find Jesus there, because in the end, that's life, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, but it's also, man, I this this football team that I'm coaching, this group of 11 and 12-year-olds, they ain't very good. Mm-hmm. And I got to work really hard to try to get us and be yeah. competitive. And I find a lot there, not because of the competitive part. Um, it's just, uh, it's fun. It's a fun mm-hmm. challenge. So it doesn't have to be the super spiritual stuff, but those are the things in which, you know, my wife literally came home a couple weeks ago and said, are you sure? I mean, you know, her daddy's a football coach and she's yeah. like, you sure you don't do that? I'm like, darling, your daddy is a unicorn. He's been yeah. at one school for 49 years. That's yeah. not the way it works. We're right. good. That's just, yeah. a, that's just a, a nice avocation. Right. That's right. Well, thank like you for that. thinking that I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Lastly, what do you think your best piece of advice to the average person living through 2020 is? Rest. Um, and, and define, define that, describe yeah. it a little bit, because I know you're not talking about just hours of binge watching Netflix. No, matter of fact, that's probably the last thing that I mean when I say rest. I mean, and that can sound really privileged too, because, you know, um, I know that let's just keep it in pastoral world. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some guys that are, you know, are having to be bivocational, think about being trivocational, right? And guys that are having to think about changes in their trajectory of their church. I mean, mm-hmm. talking to a guy who's like, I'm at, I'm making the decision for me to go part-time because I think I can go do something on the side so that we don't have to fire some of our staff. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, but I think there's rest in the middle of the work. Like it's hard, like we're all having to work harder. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is not necessarily more hours. Matter of fact, I don't think we, most of us need to be working more hours. I think just the opposite, but it it's just harder to get everything done right now. Yeah. So the rest is both taking advantage of the time where you can just give yourself and be in the arms of Jesus, but also resting and going, whatever work that I have, whether it's the difficulty of just being able to stay mentally focused in sermon prep, is being able to cultivate a life where you experience that Jesus is with you. Yeah. That's rest in the middle of the work. I think that's exactly the invitation that Jesus has when he says, come to me and rest. He doesn't mean just in those times of intentional solitude, those times are there for me to recognize that he's always with me. Mm-hmm. And so, so all of life is rest. Yeah. Um, I can entrust myself to him and partner with him and be responsible to what he's called me to and just leave it there. Yeah. Um, whatever the equation is in terms of my work and his work, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm leaning into it on my part, but just really resting on what yeah. he wants to do. Cause that's that. in the end, we all signed up for that. Yeah. We all signed up and said and say it and teach it. We just want to do God's work God's way. Right, right. Well, now's an incredible opportunity for us to live it out in a yeah. unique way. That's good. Well, man, I appreciate your time today. And I, yeah, one thing I really, really have real, always appreciated about you is the way that um, you take, you choose, you make a deliberate decision to take whatever it is that God's doing in you and to then extend that same thing over to other leaders and and specifically outside of your own church. And I think sometimes people don't realize that you don't have to do that. You know, I got, I mean, I could just pastor my church and that would be enough for God. I believe God would be just as pleased with me as trying to do anything else in addition to that. So I know how much additional effort and work that takes to do that. And I've watched now for over a decade, your commitment to 
caring for not just the people in your church, but also leaders outside of it as well. And I've been on the receiving end of that. And so I'm thankful for that today is another expression of that, that you'd be willing to take time to talk about these things. So you're a gift to many, and I'm really thankful for that and for everything that God's doing in you. Thanks, buddy. It's uh, it's really good to see you. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful and honored that we got to spend some time together.